Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill. Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking about Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears and their lethal offense that's ready to go to the Super Bowl. Clink, 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 clink. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Cubs and the White Sox not helping them out and a little more. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. We're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs. They're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly affordable prices. Sure, the season's not going on right now, but it will be starting up soon enough. So head on over to icehogs.com. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, how are you feeling about the Chicago Bears now? Uh, well, I don't have a giant pitcher of Kool-Aid. I didn't think you were going to break out the pitcher until week three of the preseason, but boy, here we are. No, but uh, seriously, uh, I enjoyed what we watched in the brief, you know, few drives of the opening starters on offense. And I think there were a few other guys throughout the game that got some playing time where you say, okay, you saw a few good things. Um, I am quite annoyed how all of a sudden people are like, oh, yards after the catch. It's like you see so many other quarterbacks throwing screen passes, executing them fine, and making something out of it. And then all of a sudden, when Justin Fields does it, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't be looking at his stats and yards. I just find that very obnoxious. I, I didn't think I had to break out the voice this early. The, the, the yards. <laughs> Did the voice go underwater? <laughs> Justin Fields fucking back. <laughs> Wow, you went all out with the voice, but I can't blame you. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> uh, Packers fans are just so mad that they have nothing else going on in their lives, and they don't have a real quarterback anymore. So they just just are saying random things. And well, go especially ahead. in preseason, man, like it's yeah. it's preseason. Yeah, I, I was messing around about the, the ready for the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I recognize this is preseason. It does not matter. I mean, look look at some of the stats. I mean, uh, uh, Trey Lance threw for 111 yards and a touchdown and had like a, over 100 quarterback rating. And uh, Baker Mayfield had over a hundred quarterback rating and looked good. And it's preseason. You're playing against vanilla defenses. They're not, they're not blitzing. They're not putting exotic looks out there. They're really just playing super vanilla defense. 
and you know you're just going out there and just trying to get the feel and cadence of the rhythm uh playing a, another team it's it's not it's not a real thing you know it was it was nice to see Justin go out there and you know what i was more impressed with was the fact that he didn't get touched the offensive line looked good in front of him that was more impressive to me than than the you know the numbers but well right right you have to go watch what happened because it's easy to just take a quick glance and be like oh screen pass whatever not impressive but on the second touchdown the blitz was coming and the pressure was coming and the fact that he recognized that and dumped it off and it turned into a touchdown either way that's what you want you don't want him standing there confused, panicking, throwing a pick or getting a sack. He had the blitz. The pressure was coming and he was able to dump it off to one of his guys who was open and you turned it into something huge. I mean, those are the little things that you like to see. And here's the thing is on the intermediate to long passes last year, he was pretty good. It mm-hmm. was it was the short passes that he was bad with and yep. the Bears have been his historically a terrible screen team so yes. the fact that the fact that they had two you know you know a short dump off and a screen that went for touchdowns like that's that's to me is going all right this offense is evolving We're right able- i mean yes that's been like a main staple for the kansas city chiefs if you watch it's not like patrick mahomes is just winging it down the field left and right is he has playmakers and sure you know, and it he's got the a Hall of Fame level tight end that's his security blanket, but you know it's he's dumping it off to guys and and he's giving them room to run, and you're seeing good things from it. This it's is not- more about just Justin Fields. It's about the offense as a whole and how it executes. And if you're able to execute screens, then you can score a lot of points. Yeah. Um. You know, so overall, I, you know, I was I was happy with the Bears. Um, you know, there was there was a few things here and there, but the offensive line, we didn't have the full unit. Nate Davis is still out, and I don't know what the issue is, but I don't really think he's practiced much at all. No, he hasn't. I think maybe maybe once, if that. Maybe, if if even, it seems like every day you're getting the update from Hallis Hall that uh, Nate Davis is not dressed. He's on the sideline, but not dressed. Yeah, but so you had the rest of the starters there. Um, uh, so you had uh, Braxton Jones on the left tackle. Uh, you had um, uh, got our first look at Darnell Wright out there. Darnell Wright on the right side. Tevin Jenkins at the left guard. Um, Whitey Coat Hair at center, and you had Jatire Carter played every single snap at the right guard, and mm-hmm. wound up with a really good PFF grade. He had a, like a 94 played really well. And which is good because here's, here's the thing we upgraded from last year. We upgraded at left tackle based on just the fact that um, our rookie left tackle worked on his, the things that he needed to improve on in the off season. And worked with a Hall of Fame level off former offensive lineman to get better. 
you improved. I I would say you improved at left guard because Tevin Jenkins at this point in his career is better than Cody Whitehair. Yes. Not not a knock on Cody. He's just he's an average guy. And Tevin Jenkins, I think, is pretty darn good. You upgraded at center. And I kind of got in an argument with somebody on Twitter about this because they said the Bears didn't address the offensive or the offensive center position. And I'm like, they they did, just not with a draft pick or free agency. But you moved Whitey Coathair over to center, which is an imp- infinite improvement because he's a former Pro Bowl level center. And, you know, sure, he's not a Pro Bowl level anymore, but if you look at the top 10 pro football focus rated uh, centers from last year, eight of the 10 of them are over 30 years old or 30 or older. Mm-hmm. So centers age well. So I think that's a good move to move him over there. Is um, he a professional bowler? <laughs> um, and, and plus Lucas Patrick is, you know, I was going to say he's healthy, but he got injured. Um, and Doug Kramer returned from injury. So mm-hmm. I would say all three are better than Sam Mustafer at center, who started almost all your games at center last year. So you improved at center just by moving a player over and getting two guys healthy again. Yeah. Well, I don't tell, uh, don't tell, you know who that. <laughs> um, you. We'll see what happens with Nate Davis, but the, uh, you know, we haven't improved at right guard because we had Jenkins over there and Nate Davis. I don't know what we're going to get at this point, but Jatire Carter stepping up, if nothing else, provides good depth. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And we absolutely improved at right tackle with Darnell Wright, who looking very nimble out there for a man his size. Well, didn't he do the uh, wide receiver workout instead? He did. He did the wide receiver workout. Um, So he was looking nimble out there. Yeah, he was. So I I was impressed by the offensive line. um, And I, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be an elite unit or anything, but last year was they were abysmal. So as long as as long as they're serviceable, that's all I really care about. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that if they're healthy, I think they could be solid. It's just, I always worry about Tevin Jenkins and his injury history. You know, I just, I always do. I know how good he is. We saw last year when he did play, what a difference it made, but he didn't play all that much because there was a lot of injury issues with him, uh, really going back to when he was drafted a few years ago. Um, but seeing Darnell Wright is nimble. Like, I, like nimble is the best way to put it. Seeing him play the way he did that's got to give you some hope oh absolutely you know it's a he seems like a good kid uh teammates seem to like him and he's out there playing hard and and look good so i i'm happy with it so far yeah absolutely um but yeah i mean the starting the starting offense is just out there like what two drives and but they made the most of it they made the most of it and looked, made it look easy. And in some ways you're like, ah, maybe I wish it would have, wouldn't have been so easy to see, get a little more work in there. Um, I know. I kind of thought the same thing. Cause Justin Fields, yeah, he went three for three with for over a hundred yards, but it was just those three passes. So 
I, I was kind of hoping I'd see one more drive, but you know, obviously we didn't see it. I think really one of the other big takeaways from what we saw in the first two drives is you see the acceleration that DJ Moore has. And like, that's number one wide receiver stuff. He might not be the Calvin Johnson, you know, outsize you make circus catches type, but if he's the type of guy who's going to create separation and accelerate like that, then that's going to get you number one wide receiver production. Yeah. It's, you know, we we've added a legitimate number one wide receiver. And uh, I think I think just that one play alone is making people that were doubters start questioning themselves. And maybe they're not totally, you know, on board that, you know, that this is legitimate train, but they're at least stopping to go. Ah, may, maybe maybe I was wrong. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, you know, cause you extrapolate this and Justin Fields is thrown for like 8,000 yards and 150 touchdowns. So, um, you know, just saying, yeah, <laughs> we haven't had a 4,000 yard passer and we're going to have an 8,000 yard passer. Yeah, totally. It, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, PJ Walker came in, played a big chunk of, of the middle of the game and did not look very good. And uh, I realized that you know, a lot of non-Bears fans that hate Justin Fields can't tell the difference between P.J. Walker and Justin Fields um, because they're they're attributing Walker's uh, interception to Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. this, I've seen that multiple times already. But who was interesting? And I recognize that he is not going to be QB two. Is Tyson Bagent? I knew that's where you were going. I know that we're Bears fans and we love a good third string quarterback. <laughs> and, but he really did look good. Tyson Bagent's going to be Brock Purdy two I can't wait for my Tyson Bagent jersey to come in. Hey, that throw he made on fourth down was pretty impressive. I mean, he's got a good pedigree from college. I mean, it's it's impeccable. And, uh, you know, when the Bears brought him in as an undrafted rookie, I was just like, eh, whatever. Uh, I would like to see them turn him loose more and see what you have. Because here's the thing is, um, I mean, unless unless they're really trying to hide him so they can put him on the practice squad. Because I don't think they're going to carry three quarterbacks. So you think they're just going to carry Justin Fields and P.J. Walker? Probably. Nathan Peterman probably destined for the practice squad? I think Nathan Peterman might be destined for the, you know, the van out out the door. Um, I mean, why would you keep him... You have a veteran backup. Why wouldn't you want? You know who Nathan Peterman is, and I'm not shitting on him. It's just you know who he is, right? He's he's not gonna. You've seen what his ceiling is, um. So why wouldn't you bring in a rookie to be the guy that you try to groom and and see what you've got? Because no, I, I totally agree. I completely agree. 
yeah, Tyson Bajit, we have no idea what he's capable of in the NFL. Um, I mean, maybe he sucks. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, he's, he never amounts to anything. That's quite possible. He's an undrafted rookie, but I would rather learn than go, all right, well, we, you know, let's keep Nathan Peterman because we, we know who he is and it's the ceiling's not very high. Four touchdowns to 13 interceptions on 712 passing yards, uh, completion percentage of 53%, uh, in 13 career games, a QB rating of 39.4. Yeah. I just, he's just there to be there right now, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he's just a veteran presence and like, I, I just don't think you need that. I would rather go with the the young guy and just see what you have. And, you know, it's it's hard to be worse than a 39 career quarterback rating. Right. I mean, no, I, I'm totally with you. I am totally with you. And I mean, ho- hopefully, truly, we don't really have to worry about who's behind Justin Fields because Justin Fields is playing and playing well. But you know, like you said, we're Bears fans. We naturally think about this sort of thing. And, you know, even if your plan is never to have your backup quarterbacks play, it's always important to have as good of a QB room as possible under your number one. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is, is pro- like, you know, other teams have done this. They've groomed a backup quarterback and, you know, there's been hype around him. And they've traded him away for a draft pick. The Patriots did it with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've, if you have a a quarterback on your roster that you don't need, I mean, Sam Bradford got traded for a first round pick. You know, it's, it's when, if you create a quarterback that looks good when you put him in, it doesn't have to be, you don't need him to be good for a career. You just need him to be good long enough if he's not your long-term answer and you view him as disposable is just good enough to create the illusion that he's good, whether mm-hmm. he's good or not, and and get that draft pick. You didn't you didn't spend a draft pick on him, so any draft pick you get is free money. But So I would at least try to develop the guy. Yeah, or at the very least, Ding Dong George can draw stick figures of Tyson throwing the ball and say, see, he's really good. Here's a picture to prove it. I love the broadcast when they brought him out and they said something about symbiotic and he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I I was the whole time I saw that I was just thinking of the purple crayon. That's all I could think of. <laughs> Ding dong, George and the purple crayon. Yep. Uh, um. Yeah. So offense, Uh. you know, it did what it was supposed to do. Um, you know, I do like the running backs. Um, it'll be nice to see when Nate Davis goes in there, knowing that even if Jenkins or Davis goes down, that Jatire Carter looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it makes me feel confident the way Ryan Poles attacked the offensive line is he traded back and got multiple picks. And he, you know, got more bites at the apple. And we'll see what Doug Kramer looks like, but he got when he threw the when he got multiple picks and tried to to get more bites at the apple. Those a lot of those bites turned out to be pretty good. One of the guys uh, I forgot who it was one of the guys they drafted. Um, the Bears put him on the practice squad, and he got taken by another team and signed to their their uh, 
53 man. Um, Braxton Jones is their starting left tackle. Doug Carter or Doug Kramer, sorry, is, you know, in competition to be the backup center. And Jatire Carter is, is looking good filling in as a starting guard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes me happy that he was able to, to, to dig offensive linemen out like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, defense up and down on the defense. There was some good things. There was some bad things. Mm-hmm. I liked what I saw from Tyreek Stevenson for the most part. Yeah. I mean, and the first play of the game, he had a blown coverage. Um, you know, we're good. Those things are going to happen as a rookie, but I was going to say, you got to, you got to adjust with the growing pains when you look here. Yeah. You're, you're going to have growing pains and, but the depth that they have at cornerback, uh, they had so many guys playing well, uh, Kyler Gordon is out there hitting guys like it's the postseason. He is embracing the hits principle. I said that on Twitter. Literally. <laughs> he is just laying dudes out. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Stevenson looks good. Um, and uh, the, the fifth round draft pick cornerback is competing with Tyreek Stevenson for the spot. They had um, Jalen Jones, who I liked from last year, coming out and being a special teams ace. He had three special teams tackles in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Um. So those those after that first drive after the first drive by the Titans, uh, the the Bears covered well on special teams. Yeah. Um. So you you saw saw some good things. The run defense is still a little suspect. Yeah. Uh, up the center, up the middle, meh. But it was, it was, uh, you know, on those outside ones, those edges are not keeping contain. Um, your linebackers aren't aren't filling those gaps. And I, I know that, uh, uh, you know, your starting linebackers aren't all out there. Yeah, Tremaine Edmonds didn't play. T.J. Edwards only played a little bit. Yeah, um, but you you. Uh, you know, you filled it in a little better. Um, Travis Gibson was fifth on the rotation for edge rusher and came out there playing like, like he was fighting for his job. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he'll keep that up, but that was a guy with a fire lit under his ass. Yeah, he was noticeable. And that's a guy we kind of need, even if he's lower on the depth chart than he was, you kind of need some production from that guy. I I think the Bears, I mean, honestly, best, like, if the Bears are going to be a legitimately good team this year, you're, it's not going to just be uh, Yannick Ngakwe that's rushing the passer. You're going to need mm-hmm. Demarcus Walker on the other side putting pressure on. You're going to need Dominique Robinson. You're going to need Travis Gibson. You're going to need four guys that can, uh, you know, competently rush the passer. May yeah, not absolutely. have the gaudy numbers, but that's that's how, you know, the the most successful teams look at the Eagles. They, they just sent waves of dudes, mm-hmm. and, and that's why they were so successful. Um, yeah, most so sacks in the league last year by a lot that's mm-hmm. and the you know i'm not saying the bears need to lead the league in sacks but what i'm saying is you just need you can't 
you can't have one dude that carries the whole load. You're going to need other guys to step up. You can't have Jaquan Brisker, your safety, leading your team in sacks. <laughs> you can't. Um, Zach Pickens, uh, he had some nice moves in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched every single snap that Jervon Dexter made. And other than getting injured, and we don't know the extent of that. Hopefully it's minor, but um, he had a bunch of positive plays. Yeah. He when got he got, it. I was worried when he got up, but he seemed to go off under his own power. It looked like from what I saw. So you like you said, hopefully it's not too serious. Cause we do need that. Yeah. I mean, watching him every single snap, there was, there was um, some shining moments in there. You saw him do some good things and really command a double team. And when he didn't, he was, he was collapsing the pocket. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I still think he's learning that position because he was. It's a completely different position than he was asked to play in Florida. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful on him. Um, but yeah, the the run defense is going to have to get a little better. And I recognize that, you know, half of your starting defensive line didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, most of your linebacking core didn't play much. So it's, I get it, but, um, you know, also you didn't, you weren't playing against, uh, their, their starting running back either. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, special teams, um, they, they got better after the first drive. Um, I do want to talk about Valus Jones. Yeah, I do too. And I am probably going to say something different than you and most everybody else. Okay. Is we all know he's not a good punt returner. No. So why are we trying to make him a punt returner? Where else does he fit at this point? I I mean, I think right now he is... He's your fourth best wide receiver as a pass catching option. Would uh, you put him over Travis Scott right now? I know he's a rookie, but he's that guy's got a case of the dropsies right now. Yeah, he does. He does. And yeah. it, it was noticeable. As a wide receiver, is Valus Jones is your fourth best wide receiver. And he's got a lot of speed. I I think. I think him as a kick returner is a very viable option, but you don't have to have the same guy return kicks and return punts. I mean, you've got, um, you know, who's to say that you don't have uh, Dante Pettis make the roster as your sixth guy and him go and be your punt returner. You went out and got Travis Homer. He's returned punts. You know, uh, Simba Webster returned punts. He's still on the roster. Scott, you've tried him as a punt returner. Maybe that's part of his niche is I don't know. I just, I agree. Valus Jones has been terrible on punts. Can't, can't return punts. Just can't do it. Yeah. It's, but you know, if that's not something you're good at, it make him be, you know, uh, your depth wide receiver and your kick returner. He's a very good kick returner. And I think they have high expectations of him as a kick returner. 
I'm just not ready to to kick him to the curb as a third round pick in his second year because he can't return punts. There's a lot of guys that can't return punts. Punts punt return is not easy. Um, you know, I, I just I just don't want to shit all over him just because he can't return punts when there's other guys that can is is um you know let him just kick return kicks and and be a wide receiver is the odds are that you know you're not gonna re-sign Claypool and Mooney at the end of the year. So if if he keeps playing well, you're gonna want him as your third best option next year, assuming you don't draft somebody. So uh, I just I don't believe in getting rid of talent just because they have one, you know, one flaw. I mean, I, I get that. That's fair. I just, I, I don't, how do I say this? I want to see how the other wide receivers perform in this preseason because if you're going to keep Valus Jones he better darn be a good wide receiver for you because like you said, I don't want him returning punts. Could he return kicks? Sure. But I just, I, I need to see more from him and I get it. His last few games last year, he did improve a lot, but I don't, I just don't want to have him married to the job yet of being on the roster kind of until I see what other guys show. I'm just, he that's, hasn't earned my trust yet. That's fair. But I, I just don't want to judge him solely based on as a punt returner because there's other guys that are, just throw them out there as punt returners. Um, I I want to I want him focusing on, as a kick returner and a wide receiver. Is like, like you said, is the last couple games last season, you saw positive um you've seen good things in or her i've heard good things from training camp i didn't go um you know i, I want to see him compete but you know right now uh he's uh, uh i think he's he's wide receiver four and maybe he will be I mean, this is one of the biggest questions I had coming into this preseason, this camp, this preseason, whatever, is how are you going to round out those final few spots? And you're right, you know, Travis Scott, he was drafted this year, but yeah, he had some dropsies in this. You know, he makes the catch, makes a move, gets some yards, and then just fumbles it away. And that's, you know, going to have to be something that's going to have to get cleaned up a bit. I'm sure, you know, that him being in his first co-professional game, even though it doesn't mean anything, um, you know, I'm obviously sure that there's a lot of things riding high in his mind and how he wants to perform. But, um, you know, he's got to prove that he's roster worthy as well. You know, that that goes for him, too. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Right. Uh, It will be. It will be. I mean, it's there's three wide receivers that are locks. After that is 
tough for grabs. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have um, Equinemius St. Brown. He hasn't earned anything. There's Pettis and there's uh, Fountain and Ford and Webster and Reed and Scott and jo- Valus Jones. They've they're all competing for that those last three spots because they're probably keeping six wide receivers. They're competing for three spots. And if Valus Jones looks good in the opportunities he has as a wide receiver and he can return kicks, that bodes well, even if he's not a punt guy. Yeah, I mean, you just you need you need him to fully show his value with the attributes he has. And, you know, you could be fast to not be a good punt returner. I get it. But you better be a good receiver that can, you know, obviously, again, he's not going to be going up and making leaping catches and beating guys one on one in terms of size. But if you can beat guys one on one in terms of speed and you can make things happen, then, yeah, then there is value. But you got to be fundamentally sound, too. And obviously the big issue last year, really, both as a receiver and as a returner, it was the fundamentals, hanging on to the ball and, you know, where he was running, how he was running. You know, there was a lot of work to be done last year. And I think that there were plenty of people that were skeptical, but also there were people that thought, hey, you know, he might be older, quote unquote, but you like the attributes of this guy. Um, I don't think the age thing should have been as big of a deal as it was made to be. But at the end of the day, you got to be fundamentally sound. And that's going to stand that's going to stand out more than anything in camp for a lot of these guys. It's not how many yards you get, not how many touchdowns you get, but it's how fundamentally sound are you? I mean, isn't that fair to say? Because, you know, you're going to forget about the scorebook of a preseason game right away, but you're going to remember if somebody looks good or does not like, Oh, made the catch, made everything he was supposed to do, got separation. Or if he fumbled, then yeah, you're going to remember that that's going to stick out. That's fair. Um, You know, but it's weird that, that Valus Jones gets held to a different standard than Tyler Scott is being held to is nobody's talking about the Tyler Scott dropsies. Why, why have the, why do the bears have Valus Jones ahead in their depth chart as a kick or a punt returner over Tyler Scott? You know, he was 133rd overall pick. That's a fairly high draft pick. Like you should be, you know, you shouldn't be dropping balls. Like I, so I, I don't understand why that Valus Jones gets held to a higher standard. Well, I because he's a sophomore. We saw a lot of what happened last year where Scott is a rookie and we've seen good things in camp. Obviously, there were problems in the preseason game, but I just I think it's a matter of thinking back to what happened last year with Valus Jones through most of the year. Um, but you know, really what I'm going to try to do is just let this year's preseason do the talking. Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, I, the depth chart, it's a really a bogus depth chart that they had. Um, but they have DJ Moore, 
Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney as their first uh, first string wide receivers, and second string Valus Jones, uh, Tyler Scott, and Equinemius St. Brown. Um, so if if the season were to start right now, that's probably Pettis not making this team. Um, Dory's Fountain's not making this team. Isaiah mm-hmm. Ford's not making this team. Um, Joe Reed not wait, making this team. Simba Webster not making this team. But that means that Valus Jones, Equinemius St. Brown, Tyler Scott, one of them's got to return punts. Yeah, you don't want it to be Equinemius St. Brown. If you have Equinemius St. Brown on your roster, that is strictly for blocking and size. You're not returning punts and not throwing the ball downfield, being a downfield target, because we saw that last year. And there were a lot of moments where with Equinemius St. Brown, you're like, okay, on this touchdown, you saw him be a crucial blocker downfield. That's good. Next play, you throw to him downfield, and he either can't catch it or he has a bad route and it ends up getting picked off. Yeah. So, um, it's, I mean, the way I look at it is that Dante Pettis is probably the best punt returner you have probably but is he is he valuable enough if you have to put him in there as a wide receiver to justify it i mean we i'm not saying he was great but i thought that he was you saw enough from him last year where at least warranted him another look this year Um, i mean am i overstating that because i feel like he I mean, he was part of the I, part of the offense, and I, I get it. You know, he's he wasn't your number one wide receiver by any means. He wasn't a guy making highlight reels every night, but I, I felt like he did enough to at least warrant a second look. Um, here's here's your on their roster your punt return depth: Valus Jones, Dante Pettis, second string. DJ Moore third. No. Fourth is Eddie Jackson. Fifth is Tyler Scott. I mean, of all those guys, if I just had to choose based on who I believe could do the job best, not the actual depth of the roster, I'd go Dante Pettis. And your kick return depth is Valus Jones, Khalil Herbert, Tristan Ebner, Tyler Scott. So, Ask yourself, why isn't Tyler Scott higher on these charts? He's got to earn that spot, too. He's got to earn that spot on the roster, too. Why are we just assuming that we're going to give him a spot on this roster? Well, we did just draft him. Uh, I mean, but if he's not earning it, if he's not as if he's not playing wide receiver as well, and he's not uh, winning the, the kick return, punt return spot, you know, maybe Dante Pettis takes the roster spot over him. And you put him on the practice squad. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's impossible because, I mean, again, I think we saw enough from Dante Pettis to give him a second look. And I feel like, you know, is Dante Pettis going to be an outstanding punt returner? No, but I, I at least would have some comfort thinking that Dante Pettis would be able to do the job without making mistakes. And 
honestly, are we guaranteeing Equinemia St. Brown a roster spot? No. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that he's guaranteed a spot. They're not married to Equinemia St. Brown. The extension they gave him was just a little over a million dollars. So if you cut him, you wouldn't be losing anything. I just, I feel like that the chances are higher than not, even though not 100% that it's going to be him making the roster just because I think they like the attributes that he brings as a six wide receiver. That's fair. I'm just saying is I think they have three guaranteed spots. I agree. Other three are, are, you know, it's, it really is. It really is an open competition. It is. It absolutely is. And like I said, this is one of my biggest questions going into the season is how they're going to fill out those last few spots. And I think the other question too is when you look at that, it leads into the one that we were just talking about too, is how are you going to put together the special teams unit? Because you you see guys that have attributes where you could just be like, okay, look, you know, Valus Jones can't return punts, but he could maybe return the kickoff You could see why, okay, that makes sense. If you were to keep Dante Pettis, you would think, okay, there's a lot of logic of putting him at punt return because you look at some of the other guys at that depth. I don't want DJ Moore returning anything on special teams. I don't want my number one wide receiver out there doing that. I don't want Eddie Jackson out there either. Hell no. Even though he's capable, I don't want him out there. No, you certainly as hell don't want that. And... Do I even want to entertain the idea of Equinemius St. Brown returning anything? I don't think so. Yeah, don't want that. Um, but I mean, I, the the, and I will say that the the one that uh. Bayless Jones muffed on the the punt. That was that was just a bad decision, not bad hands, because right. I think he would have totally caught it. Is that that guy was on him? And I don't. I I need to go and look at the rule. Is aren't you supposed to give them space to make the catch? That dude like hit him as like the second he touched the ball. Right, but he didn't call for a fair catch, right? But still, I think you have to give them space to make the catch. I don't think you can hit them as they're catching the ball. I feel like that's kind of arbitrary the way they actually referee it on the field. I I don't. In the air, they would have called that. I don't know if when the ball bounces, if that changes the, the rule. In the air, even if they don't call a fair catch, like you have to give them the opportunity to catch the ball. Right, right. Um, and he really got walloped as soon as he touched that ball. That was just a bad decision. Is you can't you can't feel that off the the high the high bounce. Right. If you played it back, it would have bounced more into your lap, and you would have been able to probably take a knee with it. Is is you take the low bounce or you just let it roll? Right. And that was just a bad decision. Rather right, than- because he was trying to reach up to get it as the guy was coming right into him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, that's more of a, hey, don't do that in this situation rather than like you're muffing punts. Right. 
one's one's an easier problem to solve. Um, yeah. But overall, I was happy with the Bears. I think there's going to be a little bit of growing pain on the defense. Um, a lot of new players. And, um, you know, you're working in you're working in a edge that you just signed like a week ago. Um, and, you know, you had a lot of guys that didn't suit up. Brisker didn't suit up. Claypool didn't suit up. Blackwell didn't suit up. Um, uh, Edmonds didn't suit up. Lucas Patrick didn't suit up. Nate Davis, Mercedes Lewis, Dante Pettis, Yannick Ngakwe, Demarcus Walker. None of them suited up. And nobody seems to be injured and in danger of, of not playing week one, which is when we need them. But, uh, you know, it would be nice to have some guys out there unavailable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, I will say this about Dante Pettis is, is, you know, even if you are a better punt returner than Bayless Jones, if you're not available, you don't have a... You don't have a job. You don't have a job. But um, who do they have next week? That's their preseason game? The Colts. The Colts next week? Okay. Yep. They're in Indianapolis next week. Okay, so, so that's when they're doing the joint practices. That's right. So it's, it's kind of nice. So you have your home preseason game this week. Then you just go to Indianapolis next week. You got joint practice, then the game, and then you have one more home preseason game. So you're really not traveling anywhere. Yeah, that's nice. Is they're really they're really staying within, you know, one state away. Yep. Um, but it'll be nice to see uh the reports out of I, I like the joint practices. Um, not every team does those, but it's nice, I think, because you're um you know, you're not always trying to play nice like you are with your own team. And I get, I get that, you know, on a competitive team, your offense and your defense are going to try to go at each other. But at the end of the day, you are teammates. But when you go out there and you're scrimmaging against another team, you're, you don't have that same camaraderie at all is, you know, uh, if, the Anthony Richardson goes out there and and you know you're trying to pick it off and you're trying to to take him out on the return you're you're going after guys it's not it's not like a you know it's your own team where you you're like hey we're we're trying to beat the offense but we're not trying to we're not trying to hurt Justin Fields <laughs> mhm yeah so you get a little bit of that um uh you know, more competitive fire. And it's, it's a difference when you're playing against another team where it's, you're varying it up from the, the same offense that you practice against day in and day out. Yep. Um, I'm curious if Justin Fields will play week two in preseason. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We might get more looks at Nathan Peterman. Oh, the, the P band. Peter man. Um, around the league is yeah. Trey Lance threw for 112 yards and a touchdown 
111 quarterback rating, which is better than what Jordan Love put up. Um, <laughs> You're going to be that guy. Oh, yeah. I You know, the numbers are the numbers. Beep, 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 beep. The numbers don't lie. Well, oh, and then the next day, oh, the numbers are skewed. I can't stand NFL Twitter. I really can't. Or it's, sorry, NFL X. NFL X. Um, I am really hoping that the Panthers are the team that played the Colts. Or, I mean, sorry, the Jets over the weekend. Because if they are, the Bears are going to get a top five pick. That that would be dream scenario. Would be we make the playoffs and we get like a top five pick again. Yeah. That would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing, because then, you you know that uh, that we're adding either a a dynamic wide receiver or an edge rusher, or you trade just for another haul and you get a number of things. Oh my God! What if what if the the Panthers are just dreadful, and the Bears get the number one pick again? Oh, and. And they just make another haul of a trade. <laughs> Ryan Poles will be like that scene where Homer is like so emotional over the giant tub of ice cream. He just face plants in it. <laughs> he's standing with the, the rest of the uh, the GMs and he's got the wax in his mouth. He's like, ha, 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 don't quit your day job, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the top five Simpsons episodes of all time. That Ryan Poles thinks he's the Pope of Chili Town. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, everyone. It's the big baby. Oh, this porridge is too hot. Oh, wah, wah, wah. (laughs) Uh, The second half of that episode is is weird. The first half, though, is just, just chef's kiss. Marge, where's my chili eating boots? They say he carved it himself from a bigger spoon. Marge, we're missing the chili cuckoo. <laughs> Less artsy, more fartsy. <laughs> or the best line, uh, you know, not the best. It, a great line from that is eight spices. Some of these must be double. <laughs> Oregano. <laughs> all right it's only three alarm (laughs) alarm tops i just want to be a big man in front of the kids dad are you going to jail we'll see son we'll see (laughs) Uh, oh man why is that episode so good oh so greatly written Uh, because that was um the voice of the space coyote was that uh wasn't that johnny cash Maybe. Um, I thought it was Johnny Cash. Let's see what the internet has to say. Hmm. When he kicks the turtle and the giant pyramid goes up, this is because I kicked you, wasn't it? (laughs) Hey, who likes short shorts? Oh, that episode is gold. I'm going to have to watch that again. 
The precious cargo. You mean the hat, hot pants, sir? I the hot <laughs> pants. Why <laughs> is <laughs> uh, hmm? see season eight episode nine let's do it this way season eight episode nine there's been 751 episodes of that show is that nuts episode Johnny Cash was the voice mm-hmm. of the coyote. Yep. Yep. That must have been towards the end of his life, right? I mean. Uh, what? That episode was ni- January 5th, 1997. 97. Johnny Cash. Wiki. Um, he died in. 2003. Okay, so not that much longer after. He was only 71. Hard life. Hard life. So that, He's that young, really? Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, his, the love of his life died like what? Two months before? Yeah. Um, Yeah, he she died mid May and he died mid September. Yeah, that's really close. Broken heart. Um what else do we want to talk about the Bears? Um yeah, it was just nice to have football back. Yeah, it you. was. Um no no pressure. Uh so it was nice once you saw Justin Fields score to throw two touchdowns and then he took off the pads and he was on the sidelines. And then you were like, all right, now it doesn't matter what happens. It was nice for them to get the win, but who cares what happens? You really, you stayed for the most part injury free. Um, you know, you're just going out there and giving, giving some of the younger guys the opportunities to win a roster spot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk White Sox or Cubs first? Well, I think baseball kind of blends in together right now, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, we've we've got to talk about White Sox culture. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so the uh the White Sox made a trade, and the player came out afterwards and said that culture is terrible and pitchers are sleeping in the bullpen and you have the story about Tim Anderson and uh yes, Monty yes, Grandal. Monty Grandal having a fight and if you guys haven't heard this apparently the last day of uh before the all-star game Yasmani Grandal came into the clubhouse saw that he was not going to start that day on the uh the lineup card so he just announced all right well 
I'm going to start my vacation early. And Tim Anderson was sitting in, I don't know if it's the hot tub or the cold tub. And he just yelled, I'll pay for your flight out. And uh, Yasmani Grandal walks up to him and slaps him in the face. And the two of them start fighting. So I can't tell you if this is true, but there's what's the old saying when there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of smoke coming out. You know what? Uh, you know what stood out to me about this whole thing is, did you hear when after Kenyon Middleton made the comments about the culture issues and kind of people being on their own and no real leader uh, did you hear how they talked to Lance Lynn? And he's like, I was here a lot longer. He's not wrong. Yeah. Lance Lynn was not ha- happy here. And, um, and I, people made him out to be like, he was the, the, the bad one. And, um, Keenan Middleton, he's saying, Hey, there's, there was problems. The culture's bad. And when you're, you see enough smoke and then you go, well, look at how bad they're playing. That's that's all got to be tied together, right? They're not having fun. You know, it's not fun to lose. Even when that's your job and you don't you're still getting paid no matter if you win or lose, it's not fun to lose. And if there's already like a bad culture there, and you who are you firing? Like the, these are not new issues. Pedro Grafal, he inherited these issues you know do you and if you're the if you're jerry you're not firing yourself you're not firing kenny jerry doesn't care yeah jerry doesn't care he's, he's made, made it very clear he does not care yeah he does not care he's it does not matter he's making money that's all that matters i mean he's jerry is really a half step above old man words yeah, at least you didn't take the games off TV and I don't know yeah. what if you listen to some White Sox fans, I think they would prefer that. <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, I feel terrible for White Sox fans. It's like this is such a tough spot because you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would have a hard time being like, screw it. I'm going to pick a new team. That's a that's a tough thing to do. It's incredibly tough. It, like it, it, that's my that's crossed my mind before in other situations, but I can't do it. Yeah, I, I just, just can't. I just can't do it. Um. So you're you're stuck. Then you're like, well, I guess I'm. I mean, I'm not going to support the team because they're not they're not putting a good product on the field. They're not trying. And you you what do you do? Just not root for baseball just watch other games and have no vested interest. Like it's a tough spot they're in their, their team, their team is a mess and there's, they're a rudderless ship. They have from ownership down ownership just cares about making money and they're doing it. So they don't care is Kenny Williams is, is there doing God knows what. Um, I don't know if he's the puppet master here and, um and uh what's his name? I can't even think of the GM's name. Why am I drawing a blank? 
uh, Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn is the puppet and he's the puppet master. But then it's, it gets worse is because Rick Hahn comes out there and just starts shitting on White Sox Twitter. Is Cesspool, he called it. Is Listen, I know that Twitter is a cesspool. It is. But those are your fans. Those are your fans. And they're right. They have a right to not be happy. Look at how poor of a job performance that Rick Hahn has had. And he's acting like, well, these don't people don't know better. Well, clearly you don't know better, Rick. Is show me your playoff wins. Like what you came in with postseason aspirations this season. And where are you? 25 games below right now. Yeah. You you are so far behind you know, the chance to make the playoffs. There's it's impossible. There's no way you can make the playoffs and you're going to other the fact that there's a team in your division that is historically bad is the only reason you're not in last place. So Rick Hahn really has no room to talk is, you know, if you don't like what they have to say, then you know what is give them just something to not complain about. Well, you know, and I feel like this too, and they've said it on 6-7 of the score, so I'm going to echo what they said. It feels like when you listen to Rick Hahn, he has not been the same guy since they forced upon him Tony La Russa. And really, if you want my opinion, you can really pinpoint a lot of this to that day when they announced they were hiring Tony La Russa. And maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. But I still think that that hire truly was a chain reaction of a lot of this. I mean, that's possible. But if you're Rick Hahn and I mean, if if somebody is basically throwing me under the bus with a decision like that and handcuffing me from doing my job, I'm saying something. I'm not going to be the good soldier and just take it and grumble about it and and then continue my path of not doing a good job. I'm saying something. If you're going to fire me, then fire me. I will go on and do something else. At least make it known to the rest of the teams that are hiring, "Hey, that was not my decision. I've I'm got decisions being made by an octogenarian that doesn't care about winning baseball." Well, look at it this way though. If you're a con Despite having Tony La Russa forced on you, what do you have the luxury that most GMs don't have? Oh, it, the job that never ends. Exactly. Uh, but if you hate your job and you're miserable and your fans hate you and you don't like your fans, like what is that a fun job to go well, to? Well, here's day? here's here's the way I see it. The fact that despite the fact that Tony La Russa was high, was forced upon him by Jerry, we kind of said the same thing at the time. We don't like this hire. We think it's a really dumb hire. This has potential to backfire. But I think that there was this thought that, listen, this team is really talented with a lot of upside. And if they win in spite of the manager, then okay, we'd live with it. And he'd live with it too. Like in 2021, first year under Tony, they won the division. When you win 93 games and you have a division title, Rick Hahn, does he like having Tony La Russa as his manager? Probably not. 
especially with the Yermin Mercedes stuff. But he's probably thinking, you know what? We just won the division. We're in the postseason. If we have success going forward, we'll live with this shit. But then things got sour. So now here you are, well after Tony LaRusa is gone. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I hear what you're saying too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it would be really hard to sit there and accept that. And frankly, I thought Rick Hahn did a good job of being diplomatic during the press conference, even though you could clearly tell he wasn't happy. He was as diplomatic as possible with the Tony La Russa hire. But this past year, man, it, it's you're getting a lot of a snark and just you don't like hearing it from Rick Hahn. And it makes a bad situation even worse when you hear it. So you have snarky Rick Hahn. You ask Jerry if he has any comments. He just says no. And you don't hear shit from Kenny, even though uh, the GM of the Marlins she said she made the deal with Jake Berger with Kenny Williams. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah. She said when they made the Jake Berger deal, he called Kenny Williams to get that done. So is it Rick Hahn is making some moves, Kenny Williams is making other? Is Kenny Williams more involved in the decision-making than we're led on to believe? Like, is Rick Hahn truly just a puppet for this whole regime? I think we don't know. I think Kenny... Kenny's I mean if you're if you're running the team what don't you want to deal with shit like fans shitting all over you and everything you do and cursing your name if you have somebody that you can put as the face of that and they get shit on all the time isn't that isn't that preferable so if you're Rick Hahn I mean if you're Kenny Williams you're like you know what I'm just gonna give myself a promotion and promote this other guy to the role that everyone's gonna be mad about and let him be the face of it and i'm really running everything and and then he gets shit on and i get paid and to do what i want have a job that never ends and i don't get flack that's the way to go oh sure i mean and frankly i think that rick Hahn has a lot less power than we i i'm i'm with you where i think kenny williams is making a lot more of the decisions than we think and rick Hahn is just the puppet i mean you barely hear from Kenny Williams. I think the last time I remember hearing from Kenny Williams address the media, there could have been other times there, but do you remember when he addressed the media after they lost out on Manny Machado? That was before the 2019 season. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much dysfunction here, and right now nobody trusts Jerry to say, hey, we need to revamp this. I do the thought is it's either going to all be, you know, run back next year with this regime, or you're going to just rearrange some deck chairs. You're going to say, okay, we're going to be holding our guys accountable and we're going to bring in a new GM, but Rick Hahn's still going to be there. He's just going to be given some other title. A la John Paxson. I mean, how many, how many titles are you going to have is I think, I wonder if the loyalty extends to Rick Khan or if it just extends to uh to Kenny Williams. Well, here's the thing though. Here's the thi- but but here's the thing with that. You might not extend the loyalty to Rick Khan like you would Kenny Williams. So that means if Kenny Williams is still around, 
who could be still getting the final shots here in the decision making, even if you did bring in a new GM? Oh, it's still going to be Kenny Williams. But so I then there would be no difference. You'll find a new puppet. Right, exactly. That That's the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is if Jerry clearly shows that he doesn't care, which he what motivate, which he doesn't, what motivation would one think for him to make massive changes when he clearly shows he has not been willing to do that? It's it's hard it's hard to imagine there being major changes right now. Maybe something happens that surprises us, but if you were a betting man, would you bet on major changes happening under Jerry Reinsdorf? No. Probably no. not. Probably they're not. Gonna, they're gonna reset. They're gonna reset and they're gonna they're gonna sell it on well, you know, we're we're going younger, we're retooling and uh give us another year and we'll be back competing and they're going to bring back Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn will still be here unless he quits. But yeah, I was just trying to look up GMs don't make as much money as I thought they did. Like most, what's, most what's GMs, the average salary. I It's hard to find, but the fifth highest paid GM is making one point five million a year. That's it. I mean, it's a lot of money, but I thought they would be making more. Oh, sure. You're just talking baseball, right? Yeah, just baseball. So, I mean, Rick Hahn is probably making less than a million a year, and that's a lot of money. But is it enough money for him just to retire off of? I don't know. Doubt it. Probably needs to work still. Where are you going to find another job that pays you that much? So, probably not quitting. Um, I, I think I think they just run it back, and um, you know, Dylan Cease's trade value is not that high, so I don't think they're going to trade him in the off season. I think they'll wait and try to trade him, um, at the trade deadline next year, and re rebuild his value. Yeah. And they're going to try to just pick up scraps and go out there with a cheap roster. You know, I don't know if you know, but uh, me and my buddy were actually at the Sox Brewers game on Saturday night. I don't know if you saw me post about that at all. I saw you posted you at a game. I didn't see which one, though. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, the Saturday game, the three to two loss. They had the two nothing lead going into the seventh. And I'm like, okay, Sox, please help us out. And uh, unfortunately the Brewers came back and beat them. Um, but you just walking around that park, you sensed a lot of apathy. Yeah, I, A I, lot of apathy. I don't blame you. And, and honestly, I know you said it's silly that the White Sox, you know, for not picking up, the option of Tim Anderson and, and thinking about it more, I agree with you. They're going to pick up the option, but I don't know if he's going to make the team. I think they might trade him and I'm looking at free agency. There is not a lot of depth at shortstop or second base and somebody trading Tim Anderson on a one year, $14 million deal to play either second or short. 
might be the your best option if you desperately need one of those positions. And it's, I mean, $14 million is not cheap, but that's not expensive either for a, a veteran. Um, I I think the White Sox deal him. It's possible, sure. Um, I don't know what they do with Hendricks. Do they do they cut him? That <laughs> would be such a that'd feel like such a dick move after all he's been through. But I don't know if they're actually going to have him pitch with the White Sox again. Um, I don't know. I don't. It, know. There's a whole year to recover for Tommy John. I don't know if Clevenger returns. So really, your your roster is Moncada, Benatendi, as far as salary. You know, Moncada, Benintendi, um, whatever you do with Hendricks, Eloy, Luis Robert, Aaron Bummer, and that's as far as your roster, guys. That's it. Everybody else is is pre-arbor in arbitration. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you got Larry Garcia's $5.5 million that you're still paying. Can't forget about that. Oh, and a million dollars to Jose Abreu. Um, Does Jerry blow his nose on the check they send to him? <laughs> so I just, you know, your your salary is low, and I think they're going to just pad it with bums and and aging veterans and rookies and and say they're retooling and just trot out a dog shit team next year. Could be. I just I don't know what else they would do when they basically said their entire team was for sale except for one player. And I I don't know. I don't think they're going to go out there and try to field a winning team next year. Well, I think they'll say they're trying to, but will it actually be a winning team is the question. Yeah. Like I said, I feel so bad for White Sox fans because that team is just I mean, they're all but spitting in your face. Yeah, I mean, the friend I went to the game with is a big White Sox fan, and he's just so, so frustrated and done with the whole thing. Yeah, I, I don't blame and him. I don't blame him at all. I wouldn't blame I wouldn't blame anybody for not wanting to participate in the fandom at the moment. You know, if people say, you know what, screw this. Until they get serious, I'm turning away for a while. I, I, I wouldn't blame him. You know... The the Orioles were bad for a long time, but you know a few years ago they were still bad. But you could sense they were on the right path. Like I I feel like they're on the right path, and now you look at them and they've got a winning ball club on the field, and they've got a good farm system, and you're like, all right, now I'm feeling confident in what they do. The White unfortunately Club- they're uh. Their management and their ownership are still jackasses. That's true. Yeah, the the whole uh, suspending their announcer. Just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Truly. Yeah, that was really dumb. But the team itself, I mean, they got the best record in the American League right now. So yeah, they're they're playing great. I'm rooting for them in the World Series. Um, but the White Sox, they never seem to get it right even when even when they do a rebuild it's you know the last rebuild they had a lot of good talent 
and they just brought them all up and then the farm system was bare and when people didn't pan out and you know i, I sort of remember and i i didn't want to be a debbie downer or seem like i was hating when the white Sox brought all these guys up but you know at a certain point there's a lot of luck that goes into bringing major baseball players to the majors you can work with them in the minors you can you know identify the talent and have them hit great and then move all the way up but when you bring them up there's a lot of luck sometimes guys um can mash all the way through triple a but the majors they just never pan out other guys injuries other guys flashing the pans um whatever it is is guys don't always pan out and there's a lot of luck involved and the white Sox had some pretty shitty luck and they also had cheap ownership and and front office that lacked some foresight and what you ended up with was this, a lot of those players didn't pan out you didn't replenish the the minor league system and when you're trying to have a fire sale you didn't replenish your farm system enough from that and now you're looking at a long path to be good again yeah i mean the whole process has just been really really screwed up when you're not optimizing your roster when you were in a window and when you're constantly constantly shooting yourself in the foot with bad fundamentals which reflects on the coaching staff and you have a manager in Pedro Grafal who some of the stuff that just comes out of his mouth just makes you slap yourself in the face. Right. I mean, talking about not wanting to sacrifice wins for development in a lost season. I mean, that's beyond ridiculous. The fact that they're still trotting out Elvis Andrews and Yasmani Grandal out there instead of seeing what any possible younger depth has makes no sense. Yeah, Yasmani Grandal does not want to be on this team, and you're just trotting him out there. And I don't have anything bad to say about Elvis Andrus, other than he's his best days of playing are far behind him. He's old. He's washed. There's just no, you know, I no don't have point. Any, I don't have any personal bad thing to say. No, um, Grandal is, you know, there's a lot of possible locker room issues there, but. His, his, you know, I, I just don't understand. I agree with you. I don't understand that we have two managers in this town that can't seem to get out of their own way. Yeah. yeah I Common guess. problem with coaches in this town, honestly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. We've, in baseball, we've sort of transitioned away from these great managers to guys that are rah-rah guys that are that take their marching orders from the front office oh yeah i mean a lot of these managers are just controlled by the front office now and that's what that's what you know we'll use this to transition over to the cubs but that's really what david ross is mm-hmm. um he is he is a, a puppet of the front office and that's exactly what they wanted and you know gives david ross you know a job and 
but the way he constructs that roster or that road the roster sometimes in the lineup card, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, like today, you you have a day off tomorrow. Why are you not playing Candelaria and and Talkman? Why? Yeah, though, unfortunately, the real story of the game was Tyone did not have it. But oh, yeah. you could. Yeah, we'll get to that. But I mean, it's. It, it makes you ask questions on how it's being managed. I, I agree. I agree. And and I will say this is. I, I'm, I won't make any excuses for Tyone, but. It's, it's a lot easier to pitch with a lead. Than pitching from behind. Especially when you're facing a, a a club that can just put eleven runs up on you, is you know if you had you had a more potent offense there is is do you give them the confidence to to go out there and not well, he he was spotted a two nothing lead in the first inning. That's fair, fair. He his his location was off the whole time. Yeah, I I was really hoping for him to be have figured things out because. We're still, we're short, still short Strowman. Um, He's coming back Wednesday, supposedly. Supposedly, um, and you know, Smiley, Smiley is on fumes. He's in the yeah. bullpen now, so um, you know, at least at least Assad is pitching great. His that performance Friday night, what a big balls performance that was! Seven innings, one run. Yeah, I mean that was a masterpiece from him. Like, yeah. good on him. He held his own against the Braves and then pitched really well in Toronto to get the win. And Toronto is not an easy place to play. Like, that's a that's a really good ball club, and um, and they 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 won that series. It just yeah, sucks. that was a tough assignment. It just sucks that they lost to the Mets. Yeah, well, I'm gonna echo what a lot of other people said it, that from the beginning had the very makings of a trap series. Yeah, I was a little nervous. I mean, I wanted to be like the Mets are bad. They got to take those and I'm just the whole time going in my head going, "Did you jinx this because they're going to they're going to lose. They're going to lose to the Mets." The finale was really frustrating when you had two on nobody out down one in the ninth and you couldn't get the tying run home. That that was very frustrating. Yeah, that was just a frustrating series in general. Yeah. And, you know, you were lucky to come away with the one, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, Pete Alonso was acting like Babe Ruth playing them. And it just. Uh, that was a bad series. And and, I, you know, it's funny because I they they played so well going into it. And I was like, don't shit the bed against the Mets, especially when you got the the, the uh, Blue Jays coming up. And. You shit the bed completely with the Mets, and you come out and you actually play a pretty good series with the Blue Jays. Yeah, you do. You, I mean, you win the series. You take that every time, and real gutsy win on Saturday too. You know, you're down one nothing. You take a four run lead, and then the Jays come back. They scrap their way back, and it's tied late. And you're thinking, a few months ago, this Cubs team probably crumbles, but no, they hold their own from the bullpen. You know, they pitch well. You bring in your big guns. You bring in your lighter, your Merriweather. And then Christopher Morrell, clutch double, gives you the lead. And then Alzali, boom, 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 easy save, game over. I mean, that was a nice, gutsy win on the road. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and a few months ago, the, the Cubs don't win this. No, it's no. They're, they're starting to find a little scrap in them. And this, they, this team fought to keep their guys. They did. Now it's up to them to make sure that they're winning baseball games. And here's the, it's both relaxing and kind of nervous, kind of going back to the point about the Mets series. Look at your schedule now yeah. over the next week or so. White Sox, White Sox, two against the White Sox, uh, three against Kansas City, three against Detroit, four against Pittsburgh. You have to take advantage of that. There's no, there, there's no excuses for not winning a majority of those. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't go at least eight and four, then shame on you. Right. And that's and eight and four is the the bare bones. Shame on you. You need to take both of these against the White Sox because the White Sox did not do you any favors against the Brewers. No, I was really hoping the Sox would win just one. Just one. Yeah, they couldn't pull pull anything out. No. They, they had opportunities. They just couldn't pull it out. Yeah, the, the, the first two games, you really should have won that Friday night game. But they didn't. Um, and listen... I I know the Sox always bring it when they play the Cubs. You know, I the Cubs are what like one for their last seven against the Sox at Wrigley Field, something like that. Something like that. And we know how Eloy Jimenez hits against the Cubs. And the Sox at this point have nothing to lose. The Cubs have everything to lose, but. You got to stay focused here. You got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And, you know, this goes beyond just the Sox. And this has nothing to do with the crosstown stuff. Nobody cares about the crosstown stuff. This is just about a, a Cub team that, if they want to stay in the race, needs to beat teams they need to beat. And y- you have to win a majority of these games on the stretch. And again, I don't want to just pick on the White Sox because, you know, you have the Kansas City Royals at home after that. You want to talk about a series you really need to freaking win? Absolutely. The Royals at home? Yeah. It's uh I mean, I yeah, I'm not shooting on the White Sox. I'm just saying is the White Sox are, are struggling right now. You've got to take advantage. It was the exact other way around 2 years ago when the White Sox were fighting for or I mean, they weren't really fighting for a division. They ran away with it, but still, they were they were a playoff-bound team that needed to keep things going, and they faced a Cub team that had just torn everything apart, that everything was gone. And it, it was the, the shoe was on the other foot then. The White Sox, it was must-win games against the torn-down Cub team. Now it's the other way around. That's just the way it is. And I, I think the series that does worry me, well, there, there's two series. It's the Royals at home. That seems like the most slam dunk series of the year outside the Oakland series, where you almost feel like there's going to be some major frustration in there, right? Like, you know what I mean? You better do what you did to the Royals, what you did to Oakland. I mean, that team, that team is 38 and 81. You better, you better wreck them. Yeah. And the other thing, Detroit can be pretty scrappy. They're not good, but they are scrappy. Uh, they are 53 and 65. 
you better kick their ass too. The but White they are, scra- are they they are a little scrappy. The White Sox are forty seven and seventy two. You better kick their ass. Pittsburgh is fifty three and sixty four. You better kick their ass. Yeah. You have to win these. You have to. Like you just you just can't. You can't mess around. You got to win these games. It, there's just that feeling of nerve because we've seen how many times over the years any Chicago sports team playing down to their competition in these these situations. You can't listen. You're not going to win every single game over the next two weeks. So let's say you go four and one against the White Sox and the Royals. Okay, and then against the is it four against the Pirates or three against the Pirates? Um, it's four against the Pirates, three against the uh, Detroit. Right. So if you went, let's say, if you won five of those seven, fine. You're not going to win every single game, but you got to win a majority of them. Would you say eight and four was your yeah. low benchmark? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. They go eight and four. That's reasonable. Yeah, in that stretch, yeah, you, I think that's, I think that's the low benchmark there, and that puts you, um, you know, comfortably in, in the lead for second place of the division and for that last wild card spot. Right. Right. Um. Yeah. So it's like we should be looking at this. It is a complete positive, but. We've seen this before. We've seen it in baseball all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's you look at it and you're like, okay, the Cubs have. I mean, it's on a platter. the The Cubs' next twelve games are against bad teams, and the Brewers are going three in Los Angeles, three in Texas, then two in Minnesota or against Minnesota three against San Diego. So in that same stretch, the Brewers are facing really good teams. So in theory, the Cubs, this is a really good opportunity for them to not just, you know, hang in there, but to, to take a, to take the lead in, in the division, especially then going against each other. So, I mean, at the end of August, the Cubs, everything is lined up for them to be in first place. It's up to them to do it. Sure. You know, you're, you're three and a half behind right now. You should be able to, with their bad, their, their, their tough schedule, your easy schedule, make up those three and a half games or come real close. And then you play them for three games. So then it comes down to who wins that series, who win, who's leading the division. Right. So it's it's up to them. And I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat this and be like, oh, I guarantee this because look at the team is you can never guarantee it is this this Cubs team. If they want to win, they got to put the big boy big boy pants on. And right now is is big boy pants time. Yep. Yep. And listen, for the most part this year. You've handled teams you should have outside the Mets series in that 3-4 loss against the Washington Nationals. Outside those two, you've pretty much handled your business. You've 
won every game against the Pirates so far. You beat the living daylights out of the Oakland Athletics. Um, you know, you've been able to handle those games so far. So you need to do it continually now, especially now. The bad teams have sold off. You've added. Yep. Uh, so I, I just, I know, I know the the starting rotation is taking a hit here, but the bats better come alive and take care of business. I mean, the bats have been doing most of the work. The bats in the bullpen. It's the starting rotation that worries me. Um, what are our probables here? Cubs. I think Hendricks is pitching uh, Tuesday. Tuesday against the White Sox. And um, let's see. Cubs probables. Um, Hendricks is pitching against the White Sox. TBD. Um, probably Stroman if he's ready to go. Stroman, he's ready to go. Assad if he's not. Um, yeah, they don't. They only list in the probables. They only have Kyle Hendricks. Everybody else is TBD. Well, and if Marcus Stroman comes back, do you go to a six man? I would. I would too. I think it makes sense. You know, you're you've got some guys struggling and give everybody a little bit of a, an extra day break. Yeah. And here's the thing, too, is one concern I really do have. As good as Justin Steele is. This is the biggest workload he's ever had. And I feel like if you look at his last few games, you see him going through the start and you kind I sense fatigue with him. That's that's a, a realistic possibility. I mean, that's that happens to young players in in all sports. They they hit a wall at a certain point, and you know you've got to learn to push through it. And I'm not saying this isn't to say he's been bad. I think over his last few starts, he's been overall okay. Not, yeah, it, it's not just that, bad, that, not great. Okay. Because um, the minor league season is shorter than, than the majors. And it's it's not as pronounced in the majors in baseball. But the NFL is a big one. Because, you know, the college football, you're playing like 10, 11 games. And then you go to, you go to the NFL and you're playing 17 plus three preseason games. That's a huge difference. And like deeper, double. deeper into bad weather too. Yeah, you know your uh, college football. You're ending in in November, and and all those bowl games are usually in you know. Yeah, they're all either in domes or in warm weather cities. So exactly, you're not you're not playing in the bad weather. Uh, so you're not playing in December and January and February, and so you're playing later. You're playing worse weather. It's it's. You know, you you see rookies just run into that wall, and in majors baseball, there you're you're seeing that too. It's just um, even though the it's not as pronounced the minor league schedule uh, versus the the bigs. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the Cubs have a big opportunity here, and I I'm really hoping that they're able to to tighten the screws on this division and and really put the pressure on Milwaukee. So my my dream would be that the Cubs come out and just start firing, and and the Brewers watch them inching up and and start feeling the uh the pressure and playing worse because of it fingers crossed clink 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 yep <laughs> right there with you uh was there anything else you wanted to talk about no i think i've said my piece i think that's going to do it for this episode of bill swirsky sports talk chicago I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. It's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, SwirskySports.com, or ShyFanPet2 for Alex on Twitter slash X, or AlexanderJPatCreative.com for all the cool stuff that Alex does. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, Bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Oh, Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears, 31, the negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.